come before you as your dear children. We sang of the, the love of the Father, the great things you have done. And our hearts, you know, when we sing those things, they soar and we're on the mountaintops. And then we, we read Psalm 42 and, and the reality is that really actually reflects our lives a lot of times. We're in the mountaintops and then we go right down to the valley for whatever reason and we're asking ourselves, so oh, my soul, what is wrong? Why aren't you hoping in God? And that's been my experience, even this week, and many of our experience that we go high and we go low, and, and, and we come back to the, the truth of what the psalm tells us, yet I will hope in God. So we come to you, and we remind ourselves that you are the Father who loves us. You're the one who has done great things, and, and even your scriptures tell us that you nourish us like a mother nourishes her children. You, you care for us. You, you aren't just a father. You are also a, a good and kind God who acts like a mother towards us. You bring us under your wings and you shelter us. And that even we think of in the New Testament when Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how, how I would have sheltered you under my wings like a, like a hen shelters her chicks. And so we thank you for this tender picture of who you are. And God, we, we need to be nourished by your love. So we thank you, our great Father, for sending Jesus Christ, who has made it possible for us to sing loudly that it is well with our soul. That our sin Oh, the bliss of this glory. Our, our sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And we don't bear it anymore because Jesus bore it for us. And we, we just want to come in having all of those burdens on our back. We, we want to come in like, like pilgrim came to the cross and we want those burdens relieved from us. So we turn to you in repentance and faith. And Father, we, we look to you as we have sung. We look to you for, for this relief of our burden. We, at the cross, we find, we find our wholeness. We find our, our true identity that, that Christ has died for my sins. God, and we pray that as your word is unfolded to us this morning, that you would show us Christ. Show us Christ. Oh, oh God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word. That every tongue in this building might confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Open up your word to us. Show us Jesus. Spirit of God, soften our hearts and open your word to us and open us to your word, we ask. Spirit of God, we pray that you would show us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would do that, build gospel community here, gospel culture here. As we, as we dive into the gospel doctrine of your word, would you build among us a, a love for Jesus, a love for his word, a love for one another. And may that love go out to our our community here in Corvallis and beyond and, and show that how great the love of the Father is. 
So I, I pray that you would do that not just for us, but you would do that for uh, our gospel partners in this city and in this state and in this country and in this world. God, we ask that you would be with our, our dear friends at Christ Central Anglican Church. And as they, as they read from their liturgy and they read the scriptures and they hear the word preached from Greg, we pray that their hearts would be lifted up to you so that they might commune together as ones who have been united by your love. We thank you for them. We thank you for the, the faith, hope, and love that we hear about among them. God, I pray that you would stir, stir them up as they gather together to love and good works. That you would stir them up to, to go out and make disciples of every nation. That we pray that you would hold them fast by your love. We pray that too for Calvin Presbyterian. And we thank you for another gospel partner. And we pray that you too would create gospel culture there as they are in Romans 7. Even this Sunday, we ask that you would give them grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ as they think about how to fight the remaining sin that is in them. God, and I pray that you would unite them by your love. Let no one condemn them. Let no one pass judgment on them. Let no one disqualify them, but let them hold fast to Christ, who is our only hope in life and death. And we pray, God, for our gospel partners in, in the Portland area. We, we pray for Saving uh, Grace Church, that you, God, you would help them to be a gospel light there. Help Brian Winchester as he preaches uh, to display your glory and your beauty so that your congregation might be built up to serve in love. We pray that too for Redemption Church and, and Virgil Brown and the elders there. God, let them be a light there. Let them, God, as the hound of heaven, would you be pursuing those that you have in North Portland and use them. God, use the gospel preaching and the songs and the, and, and the encouragement of the saints to, to propel them out to mission. God, and we pray for our dear gospel partners all over Asia, some who are, who are locked down because of COVID restrictions and are, are feeling the, the, the depression that isolation brings. God, be near to them, oh God. Help them. Strengthen them with your truth and let them strengthen others that don't have the hope of the gospel. God, we pray that you would strengthen our friends in, in China and uh, help them to, to, to shine forth this, this truth that God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? God, I pray that many people would come, even having despaired of life itself, they would come to hope in you. Hope in God, my soul. And I pray that you would get many sons and daughters out of this time. And COVID has no, has no right on these people. You said the very gates of hell will prevail against, or the, the church will prevail against the very gates of hell. So do that, we pray, through your gospel there. And all over Asia, we pray that you would cast down the idols, cast out every foe, and wash them, make them whiter than snow. So God, we pray that as you do all that, please meet with us this morning and help us see and treasure Jesus Christ for all he is worth in your word. 
Help us to forget ourselves and, and look only on him. You said the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight and would be good for us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So if you haven't already, turn to Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Uh, my name is Doug Payne. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. I think I've met everyone here in this room. So uh, it's family time this morning. Um, welcome. And, and again, happy Mother's Day. I pray that uh, it's a joy to you. You celebrate. You uh, are able to celebrate your moms. Um, but we're going to be in Colossians 2. Uh, and one of the things that Paul is doing in Colossians 2 is, in this section, 16 through 23, is he's helping us ask the question, what do Christians do with their sin? What do Christians do with their sin? Or as Paul puts it, their indulgence of the flesh, in verse 23, as Mackenzie read for us. There was this guy named Martin Luther. And as a young man, he was studying to be a lawyer. And he had a pretty good deal because his parents were paying for his education. His dad was like, you're going to be a lawyer. I'm going to pay for it. You're, you're going to do this thing. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a weird time in the 1500s. And, and uh, there's lots of superstition, religious superstition going on. And, and Martin Luther was a part of that. He was raised in that. And so Martin Luther one day was traveling and this huge thunderstorm came upon him. And uh, in the midst of the thunderstorm, he thought, you know, the, the demons are out to get me. The, the devil's out to get me. I, I am going to die. So he prays out to St. Anne, if you save me from this, I will devote my life to being a monk. I'll devote my life to the, to the monastery, to, to, uh, to God. And so he, the, God did save him from that. He, he, he didn't get struck by lightning and die. Uh, and we're very thankful for that. But... He, so he then, he, you know, becoming rescued, he quit law school and he, he joined, uh, he joined uh, the monastery as a monk and he devoted his life to serving God by, by praying, by depriving himself of good things like comfortable clothes, good food, depriving himself of sex, and sometimes even beating his body to drive away the lust and the, and the sin that remained in his heart. So Martin Luther was dealing with what every human has to think about. What do I do with my sin? Martin Luther's answer was, well, I, I have to give myself over basically to asceticism. I have to give myself over to being a monk, to be isolated, to, to beat myself down, to be uncomfortable and deprive myself of pleasure. Have you ever thought about that question? What do I do with my sin? What do I do with my anger, my lust, my greed, my lies? What do I do with my sin? You know, Christians have to ask that question too. Because believe it or not, we sin. If you don't understand that you sin, then we should talk afterwards. Uh, and yet we believe that God has forgiven us for all of our sins. So what do we do with the sins that we commit after having become a Christian? And you know, Nate preached for us two weeks ago the passage that tells us what he did with our sins. In Colossians 2, he says, 
um, 6 through 15, he tells us that he, that is God, made us alive together with him, that is Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So we believe there is no condemnation for our sins, so why do we still sin? And what do we do with those sins? This is the question Paul is dealing with in Colossians 2, 16 through 23. How do we deal with our sins or the indulgence of the flesh? That's the question. The question is pertinent to Christians, right? So we can't pretend that we don't have sin. So the, here's the main point of, uh, of what I'm trying to get at today. How will we deal with remaining sin? How we deal with remaining sin will directly affect our enjoyment of the Christian life. How we deal with remaining sin will directly affect our enjoyment, our success of the Christian life. How we deal with remaining sin will directly affect our enjoyment of the Christian life. So, you know, this morning we deal with a major theme that's been developing in Colossians. So Colossians 1.10, uh, Paul, Paul begins this, this theme of Christian living or sanctification, as uh, theologians call it. It's Christian living. How do I live as a Christian? Colossians 1.10 says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How do I walk? How, 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 do I be a, how am I a Christian? How am I supposed to do this life? In chapter 1, verse 21, he says, because Jesus reconciled us to himself to present us holy, blameless, and above reproach, providing that you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from your hope in the gospel. How are we supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says, he works hard to present the Colossians and every Christian mature in Christ. This is this doctrine of Christian living or sanctification that he's getting at. So what do we do with our sins if we're supposed to be, be mature? And again, Nate preached for us last, no, two Sundays ago, Colossians 2, 6. As you received Christ, so walk in him. As you received him, so walk in him. All of these are the, the language of Christian living. So how we deal with remaining sin will directly affect our enjoyment of the Christian life. How do you become mature? One of the ways is to deal with remaining sin. How do we do that? That's what Paul's answering this morning. The three, three points, no condemnation. He says, let no one condemn you in verse six, verses 16 through 17. No disqualification. Let no one disqualify you. And verses 19 through 23, hold fast to Christ alone, all right? So no condemnation. How do we deal with remaining sin in our lives in order to have success or enjoy the Christian life? Don't let anyone condemn you. There's no condemnation. So there are these false teachers at Colossae who are telling the Colossian Christians, if you want to be a mature Christian, if you want to be a true Christian, a good Christian, a five-star Christian, you know, a 10 out of 10 kind of Christian, that you have to do these other things. You have to add on to Christ, Jesus plus. This is the religion they were teaching. It's Jesus, yes, but also. In the church, they told them that if they wanted to be good Christians, mature Christians, they had to forbid, they were forbidden certain things, and then they were required to do certain things. And you just notice in the text, verses 16 and 17, what they were forbidden to do. There were certain food 
and drink that they were forbidden from if they wanted to be mature Christians. They're saying, do you want enjoyment in the Christian life? You can't have this food. You can't have this drink. Paul's saying, that is condemnation. If someone is judging you on the food you drink or the, uh, the food you eat or the, the, the things that you drink, that is called condemnation. He's saying, don't let anyone do that. These are all these food laws, that these, uh, the requirement of, of uh, observing certain festivals, certain uh, Christian holidays, right? In a, in a certain way, the festival, the new moon and the Sabbath, they were, they were all pointers back to cleanliness laws of the Old Testament. So these false teachers were saying, hey, you remember the Old Testament? You, you need to keep those, those laws in order to worship God correctly. These, these laws um, uh, were actually... Uh, had to be kept in order to enter into the temple and worship God under the Levitical law. So someone had to, like, just think of it, you know, before you come into our church, we said, hey, have you, you know, have you checked all the boxes this week? How, you know, did you read your Bible this week? Did you, did you pray? Um, ha- have you offered a sacrifice to, you know, to God for your sins? That's what was happening. And Paul was saying, this is, this is condemnation. This is something Jesus has taken care of because he's the true temple. You want to order, you want to worship God and enter the temple? If Jesus is the temple, he's the one that's going to have to invite you in. Just think of the Leviticus laws. If you, if you touched a dead body, there was a law for that. If you had a skin disease, there was a law for that. If you had a baby, you had to wait a certain amount of time. There's a law for that before you can come and enter and worship Christ, I worship God, the God of the Old Testament. But Christ came as the fulfillment of those laws. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus confronts the Pharisees, the, the religious traditionalists of his day. Because they were saying, hey, look, Jesus, you can't be doing all these healings and all the stuff on the Sabbath day. It's against the law. And you can't, you can't be eating and drinking certain things. And Jesus comes in and he tells them that what really defiles people is not what goes in, but what comes out. And Jesus said, food and drink do not defile people in Mark chapter 7, 18 and 19. He, and in his saying, Mark tells us that Jesus declared all foods clean based on himself being the son of God and the son of man. There's no condemnation. He was the true temple where worship was going to happen. The only requirement was being in him. The requirement of observing certain holidays, religious holidays, they were only a shadow. They were, they were, the days were pointing to the shadow more than the substance. So these days were pointing to something greater than themselves. They were, they were not the end of it. The food laws and holidays were a shadow cast by Jesus Christ as the light of the glory of God shines through the face of Jesus Christ. The shadow is cast, and and what we see is a, a literal temple. We see holidays, observances, but now that the reality is here, it is every day in the temple. Friends, no one hugs and kisses the shadow of the one they love. Do they? I mean, maybe they do. But that's just weird, right? You shouldn't do that, okay? Don't, don't hug and kiss the shadow. 
Uh, just imagine a father who comes home from a, an 18-month deployment to Afghanistan. He comes home behind his daughter, and on a sunny day, his, his shadow is cast before her. And all she can do is hug and kiss the shadow. Friends, that's the picture of what's happening here. Why would you do that when you have the substance right in front of you? Have you ever seen, I'm a sucker for those, you know, dad comes home and surprises the kids from, from uh, their tour in the army. And I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll cry because that's who I am. Uh, every one of them goes and wraps their arms around their mom or their dad. They start crying or they're just so happy they can't, they can't deal with it. This is what it is Jesus has come you know, his, his tour on this earth is over, and he, he has come. He's ascended to heaven. He sent his spirit, and now in Jesus, we all get to worship him without condemnation. So if you want to enjoy the Christian life and, and, and fight against sin, don't let anyone condemn you. Not even yourself. Why? Because the scriptures teach us there is... Therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Friends, the reality is here. Don't go back to the shadow. Enjoy the Christian life. Don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone condemn you, including yourself. There's no condemnation. Secondly, there's no disqualification. Friends, you can enjoy the Christian life because there's no condemnation, so no one can condemn you. Jesus Christ took care of that in the cross. He took all of your sins on himself in the cross, also so you wouldn't be disqualified. We're running this race, right? Like we're living the Christian life. It's, it's like a race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, 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 and there's, there's chances to get disqualified. And Jesus is saying, don't let anyone disqualify you the picture is like the olympic games you know you got the you got the runners at their at their spots and and uh you can false start right that's a that's a disqualify it's a dq right you can get disqualified or if they're passing the baton you know you you can get disqualified for passing the baton or you can you know whatever taking performance enhancing drugs you can get disqualified paul is saying don't let anyone disqualify you from the christian life so we, like the Colossians, are in danger of being disqualified by false teachers. Disqualification, that's right, right? You, you get disqualified so you don't get the prize at the end. It's like sort of the picture here. And so uh, Paul is saying, don't listen to these false teachers who are going to add on something besides Jesus Christ. That's a disqualification. You want to know what it takes to run the race? Jesus alone. So Paul warns the Colossians, and he warns the branch, the branch church, against those who may be trying to disqualify us by insisting on things, certain things. And for Colossians, it was, the, it was three things that you'll notice in verse 18. The, the, the things the false teachers were using to disqualify were asceticism, the worship in a, of angels, and the going in, on in detail about visions. So Paul says, don't let anyone insist on, disqualify you by insisting that you are an ascetic. 
basically Luther. Anyone who's, who's trying to deny themselves of all earthly pleasure so that they might find favor with God. Asceticism can be defined as a life of self-denial, right? It's a, it includes fasting and rigorous bodily discipline and, and, and a general avoiding of any, any bodily pleasure, which uh, commentators have said it could be construed as neglecting the body. We're not, we're not talking about bodily discipline in terms of eating the right things and, and working out. All of those things are good, but none of them help us with the indulgement of the flesh. Help us with sin. And Paul says, do not let anyone insist on this. So Luther, he became a monk. He, be, he gave up good food, right? He wore uncomfortable clothes. You know, he went so far as to make a trip to Rome and claw, crawl up some stairs on his knees so that he might win some favor, some merit, that he might, you know, stay out of purgatory or get other people out of purgatory. And, and we may scoff at that and, and, you know, we might look at that and say, oh, you know, how foolish those, those people were from the, you know, 15th, 16th century. Uh, how, how superstitious they were. But can you think about things that we might do? You, in 2022, are, are we not also given over to some of these, these false uh, doctrines that tell us that we'll get more enjoyment from Christ if we do this? If we deprive ourselves of this, Jesus will love us more. How we deal with remaining sin directly affects our enjoyment of Christ. Don't let anyone insist on asceticism. Don't let anyone insist on worship of angels. So this could be either worshiping angels or joining in, the, in with angels as they worship God. I, I think it's probably that one, but I'm not sure. It could be either of those things. They're either worshiping angels or they want to join in worship that angels are giving towards God. Do you see how dangerous that can be? When we, when we insist on a certain worship style because it's, it's more like the angels that are worshiping God and that's somehow better, right? Like as if the angels only sing Bach concertos to Jesus. And we're going to say, yeah, that's, that's all we can do. We, we can't do that, friends. So we're not exactly sure what they thought that, how they thought that would work, but my guess is there's is, there is some sort of mysticism involved, some, some sort of rituals, maybe some drugs. I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. That was supposed to be a joke, but I guess I need to work on my delivery. But uh, whatever it was, it involved them seeing visions. It involved them, uh, this is maybe where the drug part comes in. They, they started, you know, they insisted on, they saw visions of, of how angels worshiped, or they saw visions of angels, or, or they saw visions from God. And, and Paul is saying, don't let anyone insist on these things. Don't, don't let anyone insist on this. this is not how you enjoy Christ. This is not how you deal with your sin. They have, they have no, they, they do not help. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They're going on in detail about visions they were having. I should say, back to the asceticism piece, uh, in your translation, in the NIV, it talks about a false humility. 
and that, that's really what's happening here. There's a, there's a false humility in depriving the body of pleasure that God says is good. The false humility says this is the way God will be pleased. And it, and it, and it goes on to these other things like worship and, of angels and, and visions. And, and Paul is saying uh, th- this false humility resulting in visions actually uh, were these people their sensuous or fleshly minds were being puffed up. It's actually pride Paul's dealing with. Paul says this disqualification comes because they were requiring other things, requiring other things besides Christ. So friends, beware of anyone who says you need anything other than the gospel and the grace of Christ to be a Christian that's pleasing to God. It's Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. My, he's my only source, my, my solid ground. It's him alone. And friends, none of this, none of these things, and, y- and you can fill in the blank uh, uh, of your own personal examples. None of these, these things have value in stopping indulgence of the flesh. Man, when I was growing up, you know, you've, you've heard my story a little bit, but when I was growing up, I, I thought that if I was a nice person, if, uh, if the Christians around me liked me, if I dressed the right way, which usually meant a, a shirt and tie, uh, nicely ironed clothes, um, certain kinds of shoes, if I dressed the right, right way, looked the right way, said the right things, that I would be... Uh, accepted by friends and therefore accepted by God. You, you can think of your own personal example, can't you? Like, what, what are you adding on to Jesus? He says, don't do it, has no value for, inst- for stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You, the way you deal with your sin directly affects your enjoyment, your success in the Christian life. No condemnation. How do you deal with it? No condemnation, no disqualification. What are some other ways? What are some, what are some potential disqualifications and condemnations we need to look out for in 2022? Um, I'll just suggest a few, but I, I want you to think about this. Think about how you might be disqualified or or condemned in in this in this world in 2022. And Paul says to look out for that. Don't let anyone do that. I think one of the major ways, things that we need to look out for is this thing called individualism. Expressive individualism. It's, you know it as you do you. In a world where you have to choose what you're going to be, how many of you college kids have heard that, right? Like, hey, what are you gonna do when you grow up, right? What are you gonna do after school? And there's so much pressure, right? Even before school. You know, what, what, what are you going to study and what are you going to be? Like, you have to have your whole life planned out because you can do anything you want. That's what our world is telling us. And you are not only have to choose that, you have to choose not only what you're going to be, but who you're going to be. Right? Our, you get to choose based on your feelings, whether, whether you're a man or a woman. And, and now, then, you must present that airbrushed version of that product you made to a digital world that is going to criticize you, no matter what you choose. 
They're going to blame and shame you. No wonder depression and anxiety are on the rise. Friends, the individualism that says you have, you are who you make yourself to be will condemn and disqualify you. Because you, you are, you only have identity in Christ Jesus. You only have identity in being connected to the one who died for your sins. That's one. Another one would be a false teaching that says your suffering means something is wrong with you spiritually. That's a popular teaching in the church today. And in subtle ways, it it comes out. Friends, suffering is the means by which God sanctifies us. Suffering is the means by which God brought salvation to us through Jesus Christ. So be aware. Don't let anyone disqualify you or condemn you. So in this ugly world of blaming and shaming, who doesn't need a non-accusing place to stand? Ray Ortland said that. Who doesn't need a place of no condemnation and no disqualification. Friend, I have good news for you. I have good news for you. A a safe place to stand of no condemnation, no disqualification is exactly what you get in Jesus Christ. When you repent of your sins and turn to him, you get love instead of condemnation. You get acceptance instead of disqualification. You get the prize that you didn't know you were running for all along in this race. You get God himself. So friend, if if you have not trusted in Christ alone, please don't, don't let another moment pass before you put your faith in him. Trust in him and him alone. Go to Christ on the cross. There at the cross, you will find no condemnation, and no disqualification. It is there where you will find the enjoyment of the Christian life. It's there where you will find the way to fight your remaining sin. There's no condemnation, no disqualification. And lastly, hold fast to Christ alone. So friends, this is the exact opposite of what the false teacher or teachers were doing in in Colossae. They were not holding fast to the head. Do you notice that in, in verse 19? And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So they were not holding fast to Jesus Christ, who is the head. How do, how do I know that Jesus Christ is the head that he's talking about? Uh, Colossians 1 18 says, and he is the head of the body, that's Jesus, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the one that rose from the dead. Then everything he might be preeminent. So how do you how you deal with your sin directly affects your enjoyment, your success of the Christian life? A, a commentator named Deal said, Christian living is to be founded only on Christ. And that's what Colossians 2 6 says. There For as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? How did the Colossians receive him? By, By faith alone. Gaining entrance into the temple worship is accomplished by Christ, not by cleanliness laws. 
So Christ is the one building. He is the temple. And we are his body, the church. The church is his body. Beale again says that Christ is an actual organic part, the chief part of the temple, which includes the corporate people. Peter tells us that he is building up his body with, with he's building up the temple with stones, and you are those lively stones. So how do we deal with our remaining sin? What's God's plan for us to enjoy the Christian life by dealing with our remaining sin? We deal with it, Paul says in verse 19, by holding to, clinging to Christ and not letting go. Back to Mark chapter 7 when Jesus was talking to these religious people about um, how they were holding to commandments over, uh, over what God had given. He says in Mark 7, 8, um, that you hold fast, same word here, you hold fast to the commandments of men. And now Paul is taking that word, he's saying, no, you instead hold fast to Christ. And dear friends, brothers and sisters, when we hold fast to Christ, we also hold fast to his church. They're inseparable. The scriptures teach us that Christ is the head. In this metaphor, Christ is the head and the church is his body. So anyone who says, I really love Jesus, but I don't love the church, it's like saying, you like my head, but you don't like my body. Like it's all connected, right? The, the church is so connected, vitally connected to Christ that when you hold fast to Christ, you hold fast to his church. And I, and I think this is one of the answers to our individualism. The answer is not collectivism. The, the answer is joining a family of people where you are a vital part, the church. You are, you are coming in. Ephesians 2, 18 through 21, it, it tells us that... Um, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, that's the Gentile people, they are now fellow citizens with the Jewish people, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's you. If you're a Christian, that is you. It doesn't matter what your race, doesn't matter what your ethnicity, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your age. If you're trusting in Christ, you are a part of his body, you are a part of the church. Rather than speaking, rather, Paul says in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are nothing without our head, Jesus Christ. He is the one, as Paul says in Ephesians and in Colossians, that is strengthening, knitting us together, making us one. So the question is, what gets in the way of this? What gets in the way of holding on to Christ and his church? Why is it so hard? Well, friends, quite frankly, it's so hard because even we Christians forget that we are dead. 
and we erect idols. Galatians 4, 8 through 11 says this. Formerly, Galatian Christians, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. It's a stark warning to the Galatian Christians and to us to not erect idols in our hearts. And so that's what Paul is telling the Colossians in verses 20 through 23. He's saying, you're, you, you will enjoy the Christian life and have success in the Christian life if you hold fast to Christ, not being condemned, not being disqualified. And then he says this, he's, he's just kind of going back at it. How is that? If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Why, why do you say certain foods are forbidden? Certain holidays are required. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Why are you giving in to asceticism? It, has the, it promotes, it looks like wisdom, sure, but why are you doing that? He's saying like, they were, erect, they were in danger of erecting idols in their lives. The elemental spirits of the world are referring to the elements, or, you know, earth, wind, fire, water, things that ancient people used to make idols out of. And Isaiah tells us that those who make and worship idols out of wood and gold become like them, deaf, dumb, and blind. Friends, that's what these rules and regulations were doing, making them deaf, dumb and blind to Christ. And Paul says, I get it. They have the appearance of wisdom. I understand why you may be tempted, but, but really, they're just self-made religion and asceticism and, and severity of your body. But they don't have any value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So dear Christian, here in 2022 on Western Avenue, what are you tempted to go back to? What are you tempted, what idols are you tempted to re resurrect in your life as if you were not dead to them? He, here's what Paul says later on, we'll look at next week. If then you have been raised with Christ, you, you were died and then you were raised with him, the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For what? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You're dead. You're hidden with Christ in, uh, in, your li in his life. And being dead, you've never lived so well. So how you deal with sin, dear friends, affects your enjoyment of the Christian life. Blessed assurance. You want assurance in your life. Deal with the sin. How do you deal with it? No condemnation. No disqualification. Cling to Christ alone. Don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. And hold fast to Christ. So how did you receive Christ the Lord? You received him by faith. So walk in him by faith. Live the Christian life in faith. How do we do that? We turn back again and again and again and again to Colossians 2, 11 through 15. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You want freedom in the Christian life. You want to fight your sin and you want enjoyment? Go back to that over and over again. Christ died for my sins. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Because of Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no disqualification. And holding fast to him will bring you greater joy than you ever imagined. Let's pray. Father, take these.